Welcome everyone to the Pop Culture Podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me as always is Pete. At least I hope you're still there, Pete. Hello, Pete. Oh, we're using our made-up names. Then I am Spoiler Pete. Today, Matt, we bring you with the slightest delay only because of the magnitude of this 19th Marvel Cinematic Universe entry, uh, the Avengers Infinity War podcast, which is brought to you by Hulkaberry Hunk. That's a thing now. Indeed, Pete, here we are. Uh, First of all, happy to have gotten uh, positive feedback on us delaying recording this a couple days. I think it became obvious by the end of the movie that everybody needed some time to digest the totality of this movie, unlike many, many other uh, MCU movies and, dare say, many other kind of in the, you know, action, feel-good genre kind of thing that we're in, you know. Citizen Kane, this is not, but worthy of uh, some some uh, concerted reflection it is. Thus, our purpose today is to uh, to get into that. When we catch you up on what went down, Matt, they did it. The notion that there are, by by some counts, there are 23 major roles. I believe I've read that there are 84 or 85 speaking parts. By my count... All but four or five of those speaking parts have appeared in movies previously. The sheer totality of making it all fit together, the different tonalities coming together, it all works. Uh, though this is not you know, a Grand Slam perfect movie, I think, how could it be perfect? In each of our mind's eyes, there was, you know, you might tweak this, you might tweak that, but they brought everything together. This is, this is, as promised, the culmination of this ongoing storyline that really does go all the way back to 2008 in, in some regards and to 2012, the first Avengers movie, much more directly. And they did it, period. I think screenwriters Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely, coupled with director, directors Anthony Russo and Joe Russo, did a tremendous job balancing everything. And Matt, the scope the scale, as you mentioned, the number of characters. I mean, th- there are little things to pick at, like you just uh, mentioned. You know, we get setting introductions for various places and not for other places. Okay. It's overlookable, though, given the, the massive sum of all of these parts, which is, I got to say, Matt, if it's not top three greatest comic book movies if not top one comic book movies i think that it's important to keep in mind that you know this movie could not be all things at all times if you were really hoping for oh man i can't wait to see star lord get back home go to that missouri dairy queen like that's (laughs) not that's not this story they are all you know with the possible exception of you know iron man thanos captain america uh, maybe maybe that's it. Everybody else is a supporting character to some degree. They might be major supporting characters: Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, uh, Thor. Maybe Thor you put at the the tippity top level there. Just the point being, not every person is going to get story service. That's not what this movie is meant to be. The fact that you do have these little arcs of Drax confronts the person who took his family. The fact that you have 
Spider-Man still kind of tugging at the coattails of Mr. Stark. Little things like that. I don't want to say that's the best you could hope for because that sounds like it's shooting low. The standalone movies exist so you can do deep dive into Stephen Strange's narcissism versus love life. That you know, there's a reason Rachel McAdams doesn't appear in this movie because right. that's not what the story requires. It's this is the all-star cast, not the season-long slug of an individual, you know, third baseman. I think the interactions were managed pitch perfectly. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about how that comes up in in terms of scenes and and storylines and in a little bit i know some people are you know a little salty oh i didn't get my my steve rogers uh tony stark scene okay well the the band broke up it's laid out very early on in the film and again a character interaction for uh banner to come back from being in space for two and a half years and and to learn all of this has gone on that's part of the storytelling. I know a lot of people too have pointed to, oh, they they gave us fake footage and trailers. You know, you have that great shot of all the heroes in Wakanda converging on the character and Hulk is right there. Um, they don't make fake footage. Understand that this was an unprecedented situation in terms of the scheduling alone to get all of these people at varying times to Atlanta to film, not just this film, but the follow-up. They don't make fake footage for that. It would be a waste of all of that scheduling, which is like uh, a space shuttle launch off of uh, an aircraft carrier. What they did was they cut that scene. That scene leads up directly to the scene where they're all in the, little jungle area uh, secluded in Wakanda where the ultimate throwdown goes down with Thanos. They chose to cut the Hulk because it worked better in this arc. He couldn't summon him. He'll get him back. You can tell it because the last time we see Banner in the Hulkbuster, um, it's the worst effect in the film. He is disproportionate in the suit there, the bust of him because they swapped that at the last minute. Pete, we've joked on the podcast uh, you know, throughout the years how you're not a big Lord of the Rings guy. I will, I will liken these two films, Avengers Infinity War and uh, Avengers 4, to the Lord of the Rings trilogy in that you're filming so much stuff and it's only later than you would like. You know, it's at a point later than you would like where you start to see what fits, what doesn't, what needs to come in, what needs to come out. And is it some poor planning that they went and made this big scene and then cut it? Yeah, it is. But, you know, the editor's job is not to say, well, this cost a lot and that cost a lot. It's to right. say, let me make the best movie while I sit in this room with all of these pieces. And thank, so thank be you. It. Exactly. And I think something vis-a-vis that that emerged stronger is the human vision Wanda Maximoff uh, romance that eclipses the Banner um, Romanoff uh, relationship only because of the, the magnitude that the other one has for this film. Yeah, I mean, there's an honesty to the relationship between Vision and Wanda. Maybe it feels more honest uh, just because of uh, actor chemistry. Maybe it feels more honest because 
we've kind of seen the seeds of it along the way, but it hasn't been upfront. Like it's kind of like, oh, didn't you know that those two people at work are dating? You know, no, I didn't. Oh, they've been together six months. They're just keeping it quiet. So you kind of get that. We, the audience, don't see it progressing the way there kind of sort of was between Bruce Banner and uh, Romanoff. You know, there's a lot of things that were less than perfect for Age of Ultron. Let's not forget, Age of Ultron is the reason, Age of Ultron and whatever its negatives were perceived to be, that's the reason that Marvel Studios is its own wing under Disney and it was taken out of uh, the, the Marvel hierarchy. It's because um, Kevin Feige went went to Disney and said, hey, you feel this movie underperformed by $400 million? Let me tell you how, the, how my bosses messed that up. Make me my own boss. He walked out of that meeting answering only to uh the head of uh disney motion pictures and and the head of disney you know that's it so i take the kind of slight brush off that the movie gives to the banner romanoff uh romance i kind of take that as a little bit of kind of behind the scenes like yeah there was this thing that happened in the movie that we were less than happy with so it happened awkward moment moving on like to me that was a wallpapering of a story direction that for me as an audience member, regardless of the behind the scenes stuff with Kevin Feige and this and that, the other, that never kind of quite clicked. So now they've unclicked it. And I feel like, you know, uh, order is restored to the forest here. Gotta disagree that people, uh, like that and that it, uh, clicked. I, I think it did click. Um, I think understating this here and the fact that the two of them have survived, uh, makes it possible to service that in a bigger way going forward. Um, and really it's one of two things people remember about age of Ultron, the other being the creation of vision, everything else, uh, very little consequence moving forward. But Matt, let's talk about the deft way in which, to the point where they brought in James Gunn to direct certain sequences. I got a mini Guardians of the Galaxy movie in my Avengers movie in terms of tone and feel. Well, not to uh, not to bow at the altar of Kevin Feige again, but there's a reason that that 18 of these 19 MCU movies have a soul, you know, produced by Kevin Feige, PGA, whenever you see that PGA at the end of somebody's name, you know they are the producer or one of, you know, one of what can be a maximum of three, parenthetically six if there's producing teams. But there's this limit to who gets the real producer credit. He's the only person to get the PGA credit on 18 of uh, 19 of these movies, the exception being uh, with Spider-Man Homecoming and some of the, uh, you know, some of the cross studio wrangling and whatnot, he shared that credit. But he's the one, A, who had to fight, I believe I'm correct in saying, who had to fight for some of these songs uh, in the Guardians movies to kind of develop that as, a, as an oral palette, an ear palette uh, for the movies. But he's also the one to sit and say, hey, how do you spell Guardians of the Galaxy out quickly? Uh, throw throw one of those songs in there, make sure that the humor is still there and that they're yeah. not playing kind of serious on our way to Infinity War characters. He's the one helping preserve all of this, along with the actors and all that, of course. 
Absolutely. Somebody brought up, uh, all right, there, there are two songs used in this film. That's it. And one is the rubber man by the spinners that again, a, a pitch perfect introduction, keep it light to introduce our guardians before things get as dark as they do. And I mean, you see that tone repeated over and over and over. Um, and then you end up with, of course, this notion that the story ends up with your big battle taking place in the setting of the movie that you just saw or saw a couple months ago in Black Panther, a movie that is still still out playing in (laughs) the theater that we saw this in. I mean, this could never may never happen again. That certainly could be the case. And I mean, I remember back have to i'd have to go back and check the original chronology but i remember when spider-man homecoming was added to the slate uh that changed like i think black panther was supposed to come out last summer and then some like it changed the order of things ever so slightly and obviously you know to what story impact now clearly this has been a fluid script for a long time and they've been working out these details and and so on and so forth but um you could not have had a better setup than one of the most wait not even one of this is black panther is the most successful standalone uh mcu movie right the most successful standalone superhero movie gross of all time well (laughs) well there you go And, and i mean what better setup um and by the way pete i had hopped over to box office mojo just to confirm what we were saying let me say that it's still in the estimate phase but right now as of this moment it is estimated that avengers infinity war uh will outgross the three-day total for the force awakens so a new a new crowning there at least in its early evolution yes uh we had made our predictions on patreon uh in the uh theater waiting for the lights to go down there. So uh, patrons certainly got a chance to do that. Uh, maybe just for the record here, we'll restate mine was $252 million. Uh, Mine was a tad lower. I think it was like, I thought it was going to come up ever so short. Here's the, here's the interesting button to put on this, this box office portion of the discussion. Part of what drove people to theaters that opening weekend for The Force Awakens was a generational, perhaps even a multi-generational nostalgia. Um, has Has the MCU been around for a long time? Okay, 10 years. But there's only so many kids who grew up with it who now are adults you know what i'm saying like you can only Mm -hmm. you you can only have been a kid so long ago to still be a kid when iron man came out certainly you don't have probably with very rare exception you certainly don't have kids taking their own kids and they remember when they went to go when they were a kid going to see iron man things of that sort so i mean it speaks to the heft of all of this the heft of the marketing the heft of the promotional tie-ins the heft of just people have been waiting for this and maybe you're just a black panther fan i mean my goodness pete i think back to when we were still in the theater for black panther and there was a a young lady who clearly did not have every mcu movie memorized and she's like oh man it's that it's captain america's friend at the end of black panther uh i I guess he got his arm hurt and now they're fixing it like (laughs) okay and this was a young lady maybe 16 18 something like that like okay fine you don't have the Bucky chronology super clear memorized in your head. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, 
what did you walk out of Black Panther saying with that? Hey, that guy who was hurt, he's feeling better now. He's ready to be with his friends again. <laughs> That's all you need to know for Infinity War is that Steve Rogers' friend is ready to help fight with his friends again and he feels okay. Like it all it works on all these levels of fandom. Yes. And, you know, that's where the danger is sometimes being so close to these films. Uh, you know, the 19 of them, something that has never existed before in this, you know, these are 19 episodes in a gigantic film TV series <laughs> on top of all the TV that, that is done uh, connected to this universe. And not everybody gets to all of them. And this gigantic Avengers guardians villain crossover event, bringing everybody in and the magnitude of where this film goes to in a way that people did not expect. Um, but back to black Panther that they knew it would be successful. They managed these films to be successful at this point where it dropped in terms of February uh, was ideal beating the Deadpool record uh, black history month, the representation that goes on the film and how needed overdue important that is. And Three months, not even three months later, Matt, two and change, they get to go back and play with those characters. And in that, uh, you know, just awesome setting that the, the large majority of the characters that show up there later have never had a chance to play in. It, it worked perfectly. And to piggyback off that, I had uh, tweeted an article, um, I think maybe Friday, that was in The Hollywood Reporter, where basically the writer was arguing, these movies are going to get too convoluted. Uh, they need to do what they do in the comics, which is do a reset. And it was like, hold on, time out. Now, do I take the ending of this movie at forever and ever? No. But here's what's happened by the end of this movie. We're, we're doing a bit of a reset. Furthermore... What is it in Infinity War that would be confusing to somebody who has only seen a handful of the movies? I won't say, you know, pull a person off the street who's seen none of them. Because, I mean, this is a sequel. But, I mean, there's a big bad guy who kills a bunch of people. That's clear. Uh, we have our heroes who spell out, I'm not friends with the other heroes, with some of the other heroes anymore. Okay. Um intermediary bad guys come to earth and start taking people and killing people and then good guys fight them. Okay. Like to me, step by step by step, all the character relationships work in this movie. I don't want to say separate from what comes before it, but you know, right away that Peter Parker is on one level of the food chain and Iron Man is another because he keeps calling him Mr. Stark mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. It, it all works. Can we reach a point where you sit and go, wait i've forgotten why bucky lost his arm okay do i expect that avengers 5 is going to have a cast of 85 people frankly no i think at some point we are you know we're going to say goodbye to some of these characters for good or some of these actors for good or whatever but you know i mean this was not a difficult movie to follow because at the end of the day it's people it's it's bad people in their underwear fighting good people in their underwear <laughs> and it's and, and all the in-between stuff is made clear and I think it's the best possible situation where the success of this film 
And the storytelling therein is going to get those who are unfamiliar with those tales leading up to this to go back and examine them. You know, I had people reach out and ask, okay, I'm, I'm going to this movie. I'm committing. What do I need to watch before I go in? Go in? And I, I pointed them in large part to Guardians 1. You're going to get Thanos there. You're going to get the Guardians. You're going to understand that tone and those relationships before you head in. And I, I think that really served people well in terms of that advice. I mean, make no mistake, this is Thanos movie. Beginning, middle, particularly that end, grinning at the sunrise like he said he would be towards uh, the after the half genocide of the universe. But it was very interesting about three, four weeks ago when asked, uh, the Russos said the, the two characters that get the most screen time would be Thanos, which we expected and Thor secondly, and with his journey, with his dear rabbit, as he calls uh, rocket. And I love that we've had the running gag throughout these movies now that no one can properly identify the species. <laughs> that it's, it's always an extraterrestrial identifying rocket as, you know, a trash panda or a fox or a puppy or here a rabbit repeatedly and where they go into the heart of dying star metaphor, Matt, um, in uh, that ultimately they're uh, showing up on Earth along with Groot created for us the most cheered moment. And the thing I've repeatedly heard from other people, how their their uh, their cinemas erupted when they showed up. The very same Thor, who, let's not forget, it makes sense now. Hey, Thor Ragnarok, everybody loved it, did all this big business. So much of this movie, so much of Avengers Infinity War had been shot before Ragnarok came out. So people didn't know, certainly, they did not sit down and write the script saying, oh man, we're coming off some great Thor heat here, and Black Panther, people are eating it up. So can we have like Thor be really strong in the beginning? You know, in the beginning, I know he's he's strong throughout, but we got to hit with some Thor stuff to begin with. And then, man, we got to end in Wakanda because that's what the people like. No, no, Thor came out uh, 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 November of last year to the biggest Thor opening yet to, and the biggest Thor box office yet. But it well could have done lesser Dark World territory, Thor the, the Dark World territory, and... You know, it wasn't as obvious then. This is not being done by committee, <laughs> DC. You know where where box office stuff is helping project this. Of course, it should start with Thor. We're in space. Thor's in space. Who's he going to meet along the way? The other space story. Take things from there. Um, of course, they're going to go to Wakanda. The people who are on the on the the run, and of course, Wakanda with its technology provides a great contrast to the the technology of Thanos. The story reasons are obvious, but it's because of story and it's because of, uh, you know, it's because of story period that we end up with this this uh, journey with Thor and his rabbit. Let's talk some deep cut cameos, Matt. Um, the one in particular, Red Skull, after 14 movies coming back. And while it is not Hugo Weaving uh, doing the voice, which... Uh, almost was immediately apparent to me what they did in bringing uh, Ross Marquand, the actor who portrays Aaron on the walking dead, who is 
just gifted in his impressions that he does, I, I think was the best possible route they could have gone. I mean, Hugo Weaving's unhappiness with being part of the Marvel machine uh, is probably, it probably has been the loudest out of anyone who has, how do I want to put this? Anybody who has um, still been in the MCU. What I'm trying to parse out is Ed Norton pushed to the side and nobody knew that until it was announced. So whatever his complaints were, um, certainly were not public when he was still publicly in it. So Pete, I know there's, there's somebody else who I want to hit on, but your thoughts here on Hugo Weaving. Well, just in terms of not coming back, I think he's just really upset that they destroyed his nose bone. <laughs> uh, certainly, if somebody's going to not come back and then you're going to still have the character come back, how about one of the people with the most, uh, I don't know, non-human looking faces? You know, the red dehumanizes him and then the skull portion dehumanizes him. Uh, I'll just mention Natalie Portman as well, as somebody who was not happy with the way Thor The Dark World went, was not happy that there wasn't uh, Patty Jenkins directing it and and all of that. Um, but to me, I feel like that was largely amicable. She didn't like the situation that was going on. Thor Ragnarok didn't miss her, quite frankly. So other than that, you know, <laughs> I kind of feel like they, they almost got one over on Hugo Weaving, and there's a whole, you know... A, Dear listeners, you can you can look up the whole thing with uh, with Back to the Future Two and using actors' likenesses and whatnot. I think it's clear here it's Red Skull. It's not like, hey, that's actually Hugo Weaving. It just looks like Red Skull. Bottom line is great to get him back there. And they really kept a lid on that one. They filmed in Atlanta. They used an Atlanta-based actor. Um, and and again, best of all worlds. Uh, we knew Benicio del Toro would show back up in this. The, the cameo gets an asterisk in that the reality stone is used for him to show back up. But you know, here's a guy, um, Last Jedi, Avengers, Infinity War. He's having a pretty good two years as well. And he's also he's also willing to play both Disney. He. He appears in the uh, the Guardians ride in uh, in, yep. in Disney World, yep. uh, the the former Tower of Terror, um, and I think actually they did a swap out in around Halloween or the holidays or something where there was new footage from the actors in there. So he's clearly he, he's clearly happy to be hitting that that Disney buffet uh, line here. Uh, we also get Peter Dinklage, who you and I disagreed on this. You had heard he might possibly, or you felt certain that he was in the movie close to a year ago. My yes. recollection is that it was only absolutely confirmed that he was in the movie when the poster came out about a month ago, but we get him in there too. Yeah, it had been whispered for a long time that he was in the film. Who he was playing was greatly up for grabs, and the minute his name appeared on the poster, everybody was like, oh, he's he's playing the Silver Surfer. He's he's the voice of one of the Black Order. No, <laughs> playing a gigantic dwarf completely uh, in the wheelhouse here and the gravitas. You're, you're talking about the biggest actor uh, currently of any to to make these cameos uh, really, really killer in terms of forging uh stormbreaker the advice the the again the gravitas he's got to give to thor to set up the film's conclusion 
We also get uh, get uh, Thunderbolt Ross in there just for the one scene. Uh, although I did have some banter back and forth with somebody online. Uh, there's no evidence either way, but theoretically, he could now be president of the United States in the MCU, depending on what's happened to the president, vice president, and uh, and uh, um, speaker of the house. You know, if they've, you know, what happened at the end of the movie happened to them. So we could have him elevated in the next movie as well. Yeah, I think it's certainly a possibility, and I love again it's character conflict stuff that. He's there with uh, War Machine, with Rhodey, who signed the Accords, who now understands the mistake that that has wrought. Um, again, more character stuff that the phone that Tony had to contact Steve Rogers goes into Banner's possession that we're led, oh, he's going to call him. That's how he gets to Wakanda. Instead, he finds Rhodes the Avengers show up to the Avengers facility and collect them there really, really quickly, smoothly. And again, the word I keep coming back to with this film deftly handled. Last cameo, a possible one. My ears picked up the very first voice that we hear where it's, no, don't fire on our ship. We are a diplomatic ship from Alderaan or whatever the exact <laughs> thing is. I am sure that that was Alan Tudyk's British accent. He do, It does not appear on IMDb, uh, on, his, uh, on his IMDb page, as having voiced something in it. I just want to get my prediction in there that that's going to end up being revealed to be an uncredited cameo. He, too, is deep 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 in 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 the world of all things disney you know he's in all all the animated stuff now he gets at least a cameo um and obviously k2so in uh in uh rogue one and all that so i think it's going to come to light that yeah they asked me to record one thing and i'm saying no don't fire on us so reach, reach out to him on twitter and, and get that confirmation matt I, I did i didn't hear back that's the thing <laughs> that just proves i'm right right uh or not <laughs> um i think when you come down in the ultimate analysis of this film in terms of the theme it's a tragedy and it's a tragedy of sacrifice and the inability to make the right decisions and it's evident in just about every really big character interaction that culminates in a fate in this film. Okay. We have Loki sacrificing himself for Thor. We have Gamora who puts herself out there for Nebula. We have Thanos who sacrifices Gamora to gain the soul stone. We have Quill who with Thanos in hand and the irony that Stark is right there as the voice of reason, no, don't do this, in learning about him killing Gamora, foiling the plan, and it all going for naught. It would have been so easy to just have much of the plot propped up by, we can't work together, we can't make friends team, therefore things difficult. <laughs> oh, friends team. <laughs> I mean, the fact that, you know, as you're saying, that this this is a movie filled with people trying to do the right thing and simply failing at it. Uh, or maybe it's not just simply. I mean, there, there are all these layers to it. But, you know, it's it, it, it's part of the um, part of the wisdom of having such a formidable villain as Thanos, where 
you know, it just gets worse the more they try and fight this. Um, and one could argue, again, kind of with the blind eye towards the fact that I'm not completely buying the ending for forever and a day. But, you know, they had no, they ultimately, our heroes ultimately had zero outcome on Thanos, uh, you know, from achieving his goal. That 50% happened regardless of what our heroes did. Yeah, and who figured Gamora would be? We know the relationship from Thanos from Guardians of the Galaxy, but who figured of all the characters hers would loom as large as it did? I mean, the the flashback of her planet taken over by Thanos and the gigantic space whales appearing there and wiping out half the population on her planet as they meet for the first time as he develops this surrogate father role that, of course, you know, he has idealized and she regrets um, just really, really pays off in the through line of this film. Well, and again, it returns to making it about relationships. You can understand the parent-child relationship. You can understand the need to make sacrifices. Now, I'm certainly not I'm not arguing for Thanos to to do any of the things that he he has done, but we have giant purple people and little green people and weirdo space planets and whatnot. But at the root of it is making a difficult decision to do what's best for people and things of that where you kind of have that core. I mean, I'm not trying to take pot shots here, Pete, but I feel like I understand this plot really, really well, just having seen it the once and all that, the once so far. Like, I, I feel like I understand it. I see the emotions. And I feel like I understand the directions that the many, many, many characters all individually had. Then I think back to Justice League, and it's like, they didn't get along as friends because, uh, <laughs> and then they fought the giant person who wanted to destroy things and, um, it was difficult for a time. And then, then they did like, there's not that underpinning of, I mean, the way you have Thanos preventing little Gamora from looking at, at what I think is initially not totally clear and that's on purpose. Right. But then it's like, oh my goodness, they just shot the 50% of them. You've heard this half, half, half before. Then you see it in front of you. And he's just, no, 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 look over here, look over here. There's this absolute tenderness to him, which is a tenderness that we can all sympathize to in, in, in any time that we are tender to someone. But then you realize it's while 50% of the people in front of us are being shot to death. I mean, it, it's this contrast of emotions here and it's not, you know, it's not the murder verse, even as murder is happening in front of us. <laughs> Half a murder verse. Absolutely. It, it, it's a universe of murder, but this somehow is not the murder verse that the distinguished competition feels like it always is in. It is. And, you know, whether it's Gamora and the, the way that her character is so important integrated into the larger story part of the reason why he still wants to do what he's doing having done this to her planet in her youth and then the backstory of what happened on titan and that he watched that happen and that's his motivation to do this everywhere throughout the universe and then we get a killer scene that cannot be talked about enough in Wakanda in a ditch where Black Widow 
Wanda Maximoff and Okoye battle Proxima Midnight, uh, battle the only female child remaining in the children of Thanos before she gets smoked by a giant wheel. I think part of what made it so notable is that as it was unfolding, I was saying, oh my goodness, here we go. It's girls fight girls again because girls are weak and boys are strong. So when girls fight girls, it's an even battle. That was my worry. But it was just a great scene, period. And, you know, why the decision for those characters fighting, you know, heck, if it was, we need to give more screen time to these awesome women, okay, that's fine. And if in that evolution you realize we're going to have these three fight this one, so be it. To me, this did not feel like girls fight girls, boys fight boys. This was just, you know, an amazing fight scene amidst the larger fight that was going on. It really was. And when you consider everything that happens in this film, and so much does, it's still a standout sequence that you can return to. Uh, having seen it three times, every time it, it just sings on screen. But Matt, let's, let's get down to what we really need to talk about and what people are coming away from this movie with. We've got to do our in memoriam. Yeah, and, and I think, let me preface this portion by saying uh, I did not expect this movie to be as funny as it was. I mean, there there's, there's just rip-roaring laughter. There is some dialogue I did not hear because the laughter continued. I, I mean, to me, that's the, mark of, that's the mark of a line that's funnier than they even thought it was because they can go do a, I mean, they probably did very little, you know, kind of uh, um, test test footage with an audience kind of thing, but so so funny then you get to the climax of this movie we were in a packed theater there was probably 300 people in that theater and there were extended periods at the climax where you did not hear anything from the audience no mm -hmm. one was getting up no one was sipping their soda eating their popcorn nothing to the point that at one point a guy at the other end of the theater was like <coughs> and you heard it because it was silent in the theater Mm -hmm. That was the audience reaction to not just one character death, because we all expected one, maybe two. We think, all right, well, Loki in the beginning, that kind of stinks, but, you know, whatever. How many more Thor movies are, are there going to be where they need him to be a rascal? Okay, fine. And maybe he, they can bring him back anyway because of space hologram magic. But just boom, 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 one after another, and you could feel the weight in the room. Yeah, and I, I think we have to break them up in terms of, of two groups, really. You know, they're, the, the Russos have talked about that all these deaths count, but okay, at the same time, they've got to play that close to the vest because if half of the universe no longer exists, then it's, yeah, <laughs> it's going to be a tough sell moving forward. Uh, you, you got all the money here, but... Are people going to return in such numbers if they know that beloved characters will not return? And it can't be that way. And I think people understand that. At the same time, it's a perfect storm that the follow-up is going to be in 13 months that you can do this. Empire Strikes Back, Luke, no, I am your father, three years I've told the story on the podcast before there were gangs in my neighborhood 
you were either a, a Vader believer or a Vader denier. I, I was a Vader denier. I was on the wrong side of history, Matt. And we fought over that for three years to think that this could be stretched out that long before we have the solution to bring back at least some, if not all of the people who went away at the end of the film would, would be excruciating. So they're smart there. Let's, let's start with the first life taken, Matt RIP Heimdall. I think that suited the story. Well, mm -hmm. I think it suited the actor. Well, um, an actor who has not, who has not been best served by the Thor movies and who has been verbal about that and an actor who potentially has a much bigger future ahead of him in, in Idris Elba you know will he or will he not be the next James Bond does he is he a little too old for that when Daniel Craig gives up uh so on and so forth he needs better stuff than playing fourth or fifth or eighth banana in the Thor movies if he wanted an out and they said we're gonna give you a glorious death at the top of the movie one last paycheck, one last this, one last that. I suspect that he was just fine with that. And now he doesn't need to X out two months in his calendar two years from now when Thor 4 starts rolling around or whatever. Yeah, and I think that all very much adds up. With Loki, with Tom Hiddleston, it's a different type of situation. That's a character who is beloved in these films, still regarded as one of the top two if not the top villain in all of these films, there's that anti-hero bent to him. There's the repaired, restored relationship with Thor. Yeah, do does the camera languish on his squished out eyeballs and, and blue skin? It does. Uh, we haven't seen the last of him. Will the character appear past what we're yet to see of him? That remains to be seen, but it was it was really well known going in. Wow, they don't show him in any other footage. Not sure he makes it out of that encounter with Thanos. And regardless of what the final toll is, I I think that they're I think that Marvel Studios is aware. I mean, they've been aware for so long. There's a Kevin Feige quote, does anyone really want to see Iron Man six? Like, you can't keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. So there's this new life to the Thor movies that maybe there was not perceived to be before Ragnarok came along. Okay, would it be awesome if it was Thor and Loki conquering the world? Absolutely. Uh, frankly, Pete, I'd much rather be sitting in the theaters two years from now or, or whatever, because we don't have release dates for anything past Avengers 4. Um, but I'd love, or pardon me, I guess Spider-Man Homecoming 2 is out there somewhere uh but would i love it if we're waiting for the secret scene in thor 4 and loki's back what does that mean find out in thor 5 in two or three years that's probably a better route and just in the interim have him killed off and also if, if in the interim tom middleson says uh peace time to go do other things okay that can open up opportunities for the adventures of thor and his rock play friend played by uh taika waititi or, or whatever it is you find these story solutions in Gamora, Matt, I think is a, a fate not many people expected. Uh, the the speculation over where the Soul Stone was is it in Wakanda? Does Cap have it and and not know that he has it? Uh, that she was the one that found it. That 
they are brought there, that she has to be sacrificed for it, I thought was just so eloquently told. And let's remember, too, uh, the two Guardians of the Galaxy movies occur. The last one occurs in 2014. We're told as much on screen. So it's been four years since we've seen our Guardians. There is story space for Guardians 3 to occur in that time. Perhaps it even involves Gamora, the map to the Soul Stone, her discussion with Nebula that we see a, a hologram uh, voicemail of <laughs> uh, to, to get that. That is a great short-term story solution. I think we need to leave Avengers 4 with there being no more of that. And I mean, I realize that the next Guardians movie might come out after that, but like they can't do that continuously. Homecoming 2 can't take place shortly before uh, Infinity War and and so on and so on and so on. Like, I don't know what my expectations are for Ant-Man now. I mean, we know we know Ant-Man was not in this movie. Uh, even Or with, was he? Well, <laughs> too small to see. Um, I, Pete, I avoid... I avoid outright spoilers, set footage and whatnot. Something tells me we'll be seeing Ant-Man twice in the next 13 months. And one of them is in Ant-Man and the Wasp. Um, But, you know, so I I certainly expect more moving forward. But there's only so much they can do to play in this space, which is why, not for nothing, there is an Avengers 4 coming that will resolve these questions. And I think, too, that's part of the reason as we're talking about all these deaths here, I think that's part of the reason why there's not the teeth gnashing of, you know, you ruined my childhood or, or, or things of that sort. People don't completely believe everything that they see, but they're letting themselves say, I'm going to feel these feels for the next year. Then you can take my broken heart and put it back together. Right. As you know, as opposed to the portion of the, the last Jedi audience who just feel like now my heart is broken for forever and ever. And I, I can't see brightness in anything anymore. But I digress. Well, I I hear in Wakanda, Matt, they can fix a broken heart. Shuri can actually do a thing with neurons and and all of that. Um, But they can't fix a vision. And that so much of the emphasis on this film in a being created in part by an infinity stone that his death which we actually witness twice in two different ways um is the last before the deaths before the snap before half of the universe goes and a a character and a voice actor who's been there from the very beginning i would bet that in um in loki in um maybe maybe Gamora, maybe not but certainly in vision i think that we have at least in, in loki and vision we have two characters who are not not going to come back period i think again with the asterisk of loki where you could say hey enough time has gone by and now we're going to say secret hologram whatever whatever you know but he's not coming back next movie i think vision is done with as well we see a calling of the herd here if only to make room for 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 more uh for, for more characters and pete i don't know whether you want to talk about it now or later but something tells me i know what the avengers 4 tag scene is going to be it's going to be some new friends joining the disney the, the the disney roster in the next year or so when we come down to it matt the the dustening 
the the vaping. <laughs> my my brother said they all turned into vape dust, um, which I I find darkly humorous. But just the weight of it from Bucky post snap. Oh, Steve, boom, turning into nothingness uh, to so many of these newer beloved characters, almost all of our guardians, Dr. Strange, Spider-Man, Matt, this guy that still has a movie coming, going away, Scarlet Witch after what went on with uh, Vision. Um, and and you take it into the post credit scene with uh, Maria Hill and Nick Fury and, and even the great way which they, you know, it's a Disney movie and as dark as it's going to get, they don't give us the F word, but Fury is in the middle of saying mother and he blinks out. Um, and our discussion too, which we'll, we'll push into the theories section in terms of how far felt this will be throughout their entire universe. Um, the audience reaction was as shocking as the action on screen. Everybody expected to lose somebody. Uh, I think smart money was on cap or iron man. Uh, I was even, you know, I was even expecting scenarios where it's like, Pete, there's just, there's just something in my eye, buddy. Uh, just give me a second. <laughs> but, and I think a lot of people were too, like they were walking out, I think people were prepared to walk out really kind of emotionally torn that their favorite character died. No one expected all of those characters dying. And I think that's why there was just this stunned silence when you realize we, the audience, are not having our heart snapped. We are having a piece cut and a piece cut and a piece. And it goes on and on and on in this extended way mm-hmm. where it's just, you know, no one expected that. And again, asterisk do i expect it to be undone to a certain degree next year yeah but in the interim pete all of these characters are 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 completely kaput and i think it's such i mean it's such 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 creative you know uh, intestinal fortitude to do that yeah we know there's a sequel coming out not everybody does mm-hmm. and yeah we know it's wait a year Okay, I mean, I remember walking out of Matrix 2 that ended with a to-be-continued and people just being cynical, like, now we got to wait and this and that the other. Like, there is the possibility of annoying the audience and some people don't come back. I think the movie was too deftly handled for that to be the case. Plus, it's kind of this more comic booky thing of, you know, and they shall return. But the short-term effect is just this, you know, gut punch after gut punch after gut punch where... You don't know how things are going to move forward. And you mentioned, you, you can argue how they're going to undo each one. You mentioned Spider-Man. It's mighty Spider-Man. How are they going to do that? Pete, I wouldn't rule out the possibility that it's like, you know, if Marvel is in complete and shut off uh, creative control with the Spider-Man homecoming era movies because of uh, because of that deal and all of it, it might just be like, Oh, uh, Sony, by the way, Spider-Man Homecoming 2 takes place before Avengers. Good luck. Spider-Man's dead after that. I mean, you, you do read? have a Venom movie in the fall where it's heavily rumored he's going to be in a post credit scene there to just make it clear that his involvement is how Venom exists uh, as, as Sony gets into that. 
they they can have it all ways right now with the way that they have left this um you know just vis-a-vis what we're talking about with the expected fates as opposed to this unexpected half calling of the universe um when tony stark gets stabbed uh a woman outright gasped in the theater and i i think a lot of people had made their peace with this is going to happen and even then there was this reaction of of surprise so is it a surprise a lot of people don't know that there's a follow-up to this film uh in may of 2019 i don't know if it is again we're so close to this we work in this all the time um, and the number of people that I've talked to and be like, oh, thank goodness we only got to wait a year. Wait, it, it's going to be a year? We're going to know in a year? Uh, I, I think is very interesting. They held off they, – they have the title for uh, Avengers 4. You and I have talked about this off mic. Um, it was originally to appear at the end of this. There's a spoiler in the title. So they don't want it out just yet. Hence, it was cut from Thanos will return in and giving the title. I know there was somebody who I suspect was trying to make Twitter hay last week who said, oh, I've been told exclusively the title by people who worked on the movie. And and the title he finally teased out was Endgame. And I was like, really? That's just a dumb title. Like That's not the title. Yeah, that's also. Yeah. I mean, uh, furthermore, <laughs> is Avengers for the end game? No, this was the end game. And the next movie, we pull it back. Like, I don't believe all those characters are gone for good for forever and ever. So, yeah, uh, I mean, I mean, it's the game that can now get played. I would say this shame on anybody who thinks that there's not going to be a sequel that resolves these things. And that's not a concern I've heard. I mean, you know there are all these movies, right? Whether you've seen them or not, you know that there are two or three a year. So, of course, the story continues to some degree. Um, and we'll see. We have the year. I mean, there, you figure there's going to be clues in Ant-Man, or will they? I mean, the first Ant-Man that had all this pressure of of uh, of what it was, you know, it was the last movie before Civil War, right? Yeah, it must have been because of the post-credit thing. Plus... Spider-Man had recently been been quote unquote reacquired. Right. Um, in retrospect, there's the passing reference to you know he can climb walls and swing and all that, but that's not a movie that was like. Meanwhile, in New York, another bug character. It just had a Civil War tag, you know, <laughs> a Civil War secret scene. Otherwise, it was its own thing. I, I don't, I, you know, we can anticipate next next March getting some more stuff, but that's a prequel movie too. It. it questions abound and all we know is as you said pete thanos will return well you know where there are no questions matt that is because of the wonderful people who visit patreon.com and are able to help us do our thing and we give back to you every chance we get like the thing we gave you in the theater right before we watched this movie just just a wee something in that case we do like to give uh, give larger goodies with summer approaching we have we have some uh, some good audio stuff to get going there on Patreon, but uh, truly our patrons keeping things going, particularly as this catalog of ours continues to grow. And, uh, you know, it's also just uh, 
they're always with us when it's you know when it's a, a late Friday night. Maybe maybe Agents of Shield didn't hit a home run this week. You know what? We're getting this out because we have the great listeners because we have the patrons and and so on and so on and so on as we continue to podcast all this MCU stuff, all this Star Trek Discovery stuff, and more. The dossier. A detailed look at our bad guys, Matt. Let's begin with our Black Order here, the children of Thanos. If there's one criticism for this movie, it's that I kind of felt like I really I really don't have a deep understanding of the Black Order and what motivates all of them. That said, do I need to? Here's their story function. They're the lieutenants of the big bad. They are the the ones, you know, foretelling doom and bringing some doom. So you know they're compelling visually they're different enough visually we know that they're bad the entire time that works for me in the the main lieutenant there in the ebony maw we have the voice actor uh here of tom vaughn uh, lawler most notably known from peaky blinders i thought he was the 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 best in terms of characterization and the, the amount of lines that he got and they're really kind of out there powers somebody who could tangle with both a stark and uh, a doctor strange at the same time i pete maybe it's because i have my head in two different universes but i kept feeling like this should be doug jones in makeup playing this guy yeah, you know yeah <laughs> i mean and, and that's not to say ooh, ebony maul looks like saru or or what i'm assuming was cgi that the cgi was bad or whatever it was just kind of like We've been treated on Star Trek Discovery to what it's like seeing the best bodysuit performer that's out there. And when you have a very, very, very fine presentation in Ebony Maw, but it's not the best of the best. And we've been living in this world, you know, over the winter watching Discovery. It's like you could just barely notice the difference. But still, a, definitely a great character in Ebony Maw. Somebody who is so powerful and, you know, ultimately Pete gets dropped by aliens the movie <laughs> a really old movie uh Cole obsidian or the the black dwarf as he's sometimes known the the big guy who wound up losing his arm and then returned with a robot one later on in, in wakanda he is what he needs to be he's he's the muscle he has no dialogue he he shows up a, again and, and gets uh smeared on the wakandan dome uh which was was delicious um yeah, I mean it, it's it's chocolate ice cream. It 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 doesn't need to be mind blowing. <laughs> uh, perhaps with some more subtlety was Proxima Midnight, played by Carrie Coon. Mm-hmm. Um, to my mind, the most kind of out front there as the uh, you know, of the lieutenants, the one that has the most dialogue. Well, maybe you no, know, Ebony Maw might have more, but kind of I don't know. You understand her as a field general. You understand her as a brawler and. Again, I think you know she got the job done. She got the job done really, really well. Yeah, a, a fighter uh, gets to talk a little bit. I mean, they they held that to the last ten days that she was in this movie. Carrie Coon, huge on TV. I think ironic of the leftovers, given what happens at the end of this film. Uh, also, uh, Emmy winner, definitely nominee from uh, Fargo, uh, season three. Um, and yeah, it's just to give that, that, that female menace with her character. Um, 
in the comics, Proxima Midnight is married to the the final uh, member of the Black Order, Corvus Glaive, who here was voiced for us by uh, Michael James Shaw. Uh, again, another compelling character. I don't mean to continue to sound down on the Black Order. I think with everything that was going on, you know, these are the newbies. It's these four characters plus TV news reporter. What's going on in New York? <laughs> By my count, on the one viewing, those are the only five characters that are new who have dialogue. Uh, pardon me. Also, the uh, the uh, Peter Dinklage characters. So I guess it's six, but um, they're a strong they're a strong bunch. Particularly since not for nothing, you, you need to hold the Thanos battle until the end. You need to save some Thanos stuff for the next movie. And uh, I don't know. I, I walk away really, really impressed by the Black Order. And then let's not forget the reason we're here, and it's his movie in in Thanos. Uh, Josh Brolin, between this, between Deadpool 2, is going to have an enormous year. But it's Thanos' quest. It's his beliefs that so interestingly drive this film, not in a one-note, I am bad, I want to kill half the universe. The very nature of balancing half the universe that some will get to live. I mean, for my money, the discussion he has after he's beaten Tony Stark that I hope some of the people who live remember you uh, is, is a great, great villain moment that doesn't come across like villainy. Yeah. And we had, uh, we had gotten an email from somebody who, who wants to, to remain anonymous, uh, but, but basically saying, you know, are there some shades of Trump here in Thanos? And I think it's, it's we should say right off the bat, this is a movie that was in, in production, in pre-production scripting, uh, story seeding. I mean, however back you want to go for the MCU, well before the current kind of political landscape. But it is, it's an interesting notion that, that Thanos here is so is so willing to willing to do that sub, subtraction on such a large scale. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I, is this an overtly political movie? No. Uh, who's going to save us at the very, very end of the tag scene? Uh, it's going to be somebody who's unlike a lot of the other heroes that we've seen so far. So if, if there's some political reading in there, maybe, um, I mean, you wonder what goes on in in these high level discussions. Clearly, they're not going to say, "Hey, we're going to do a 2016 analogy in our comic book movie." At the end of the day, these are beloved movies, but these are meant to be escapist. These are meant to be painting in broad strokes. They're meant to be reaching a large audience. They're meant to be uh, inclusive and not divisive in any way. Um, but then you wonder to what degree. Things do get sprinkled in. I, I certainly don't know. And I guess, I don't know, time will tell as stories of the production come out or don't. The best of art holds a mirror up to its own universe. And I think you can have that and not need to so overtly connect. Um, and it, it's clearly resonated that, that somebody took the time to compose an email yet doesn't want to identify, doesn't want us to identify who they are, tells you that it, that it's out there. Does that make it a one-to-one -one correct notion? It doesn't, but it's in the discussion. 
me personally, I'm glad. I'll just be glad that the MCU stays out of all this stuff. Hey, Pete, quick reminder to our listeners, Daredevil season three coming this fall. What? New York real estate guy, Wilson Fisk is the bad guy. Oh, metaphors. <laughs> Welcome to level seven. Time to analyze and theorize, Matt. Why can't Banner Hulk anymore? Is this the Bifrost? Did Thanos Infinity stone him? What is it? Well, Pete, if you want to go for the metaphorical answer, as you get a little older, uh, or let's skip over that one. Let's instead say um, I read it as story reasons first and foremost. Now, okay, fine. There are cuts of the movie where he is able to Hulk. Um, for my purposes, look, it, it always gets back to why is there kryptonite? There's kryptonite because Superman is too powerful issue after issue after issue. Um, I don't care what the previous cuts had. Let's look at the cut that we do have here. I feel like they're saying, you know, we had Hulk at the top. We're now kind of saving Hulk, um, for, for future use. Um, a lot of the tension in this movie comes from not having, Maybe not a lot of it, but you have moments in the movie where the right people are not where they need to be to mm -hmm. end it because they're elsewhere. That's every bit of fiction ever. You have to create these situations where you can't save the day in the first five minutes. Um, so to me, it's just kind of he spent so much time hulking. Hulk doesn't want to come out. <laughs> okay. We saw a little bit of that in Ragnarok as well towards the end. Right. Um, and and. To me, it's just it's just a self-contained thing of he did too much Hulk, so now he's on Hulk timeout. And again, the the smarts they've gained from doing two Hulk movies and using him as a character to sprinkle in, knowing that he doesn't work well in his own standalone stories. So between Ragnarok, this, and the next Infinity Avengers 4 movie, uh, it is a full beginning, middle and end Hulk story. So by cutting the idea that he could return to the Hulk as the Hulk in this film and giving us yet another storyline for resonance for payoff down the road. Speaking of payoff, Matt, Dr. Strange has, has done the time stone thing, you know, when he still had it. Uh, that one in 14,605,000 possibilities where the Avengers come out on top that he gave the, the time stone up for before he turned to dust. It, it is interesting to think that we have seeded in this movie the reassurance from Doctor Strange that everything is going to work out at its best. Um, at the end of this movie, as I said earlier, I don't know that we, I don't know that our heroes have meaningfully impacted Thanos's plan. Thanos's plan all along was 50%. That's what he got. Um, <laughs> is, is Dr. Strange giving us hope for the future? Absolutely. Uh, it also has led to the great meme over the weekend of Dr. Strange saw the ending of <laughs> Avengers Infinity War 14 million times and he didn't spoil it. You'd be like Dr. Strange. Yes. Was the gauntlet damaged with the snap? It kind of melted away. I've heard some people, I mean, I've seen it three times and every time I look, I, I kind of see it a little bit differently. I've heard somebody explain it kind of look like it became part of his arm when, when he is um, in that last location. 
uh, it, it looks like there's something towards the, the top of his arm where, where the gauntlet goes. Um, does this further cement the, the dustening that happens? This thing is broken. It alone can't undo it. I think that's a good starting point for the next movie. Um, because you do have this all-powerful MacGuffin here. If everything is just fine and all you need to do is get it off his fist again or you know you can't have an easy solution uh certainly i don't expect that we're going to do the standard marvel you know thanos the big bad dies halfway through the next movie um it did look to me like something had changed and again i think to walk out of the theater with so many questions and indeed doubting the long-term intention of the story that was just delivered to us i think these are all questions that we are meant to have. And there's the real daring in the movie. The fact that they said, we're going to leave people confused, discussing, unsure, disagreeing, uh, and concerned for the long-term future of these movies that are meant to be fun. That's going to be a mishmash of negative emotions as people walk out. That's what we're looking for. That's a bold move. So the question of which deaths count then becomes the issue. And I think we can say that definitively Heimdall is, is dead. He ain't coming back. Um, Loki's going to pop up again. Does Loki post this narrative? That's up for grabs. Gamora, uh, that actress is going to film four, 14 consecutive avatar films. I mean, they'll get her back for uh, Avengers or Avengers three for, for guardians, uh, three, uh, but does she continue past this point in time? Um, and, and then you've got everybody who's turned to dust and the possibility of vision. And it's going to be a guessing game. It's, it's a great parlor game for the next year. I feel like the worst that it could be is every single person who died gets brought back because Agreed. somebody gets the time stone and you go back to just before the Libyans attacked Doc Brown and then it's all okay. <laughs> um, you know, you, you, you give the Libyans a flat tire the morning beforehand and now everything's fine. Like we will never trust the, the, the bad feelings that one of these movie gives movies gives us ever again, you know, whether it's, Oh man, they killed off Anthony Hopkins or, you know, nothing ever we will completely believe in, which means the whole dramatic suspense will be gone. There does need to be a account taken. I think one line you might want to look at, and, and immediately I'm sure you, our listeners and you, Pete, are going to see a hole in this, and I'll admit that, that up front. But let's draw a line between those who die before the ash and those who die from the ash. Um, totally agree, Loki is kind of here or there. Do they dare really keep Gamora dead? You mentioned um, the Avatar movies something tells me that extended um, motion capture work on a motion capture stage in LA, even if they're going to shoot 18,000 of these movies back to back to back to back, that's going to take up a lot less time than, Hey, show up at Atlanta for costume fittings. Don't forget 6am makeup call, then on set and all, and all that stuff. Um, I look guardians three can take place in the past. Spidey homecoming two can take place in the past i think at a certain point you start to you start to strain that but i i would not put it past 
the deal makers at Disney to have kept Sony out of the script discussions and then be like, hey, so um, Tom Holland's deal was three starring roles, three cameos. He's officially starred in Homecoming 1, Infinity War, Homecoming 2. Uh, you want to re-up the deal or should we just keep this ending where it, the whole thing takes place in 2017 and now Spider-Man is dead? There is the line in the film, Matt. I know you didn't hear it. I had to point it out to you. I still can't remember who it is between, but Spider-Man does tell. Somebody asks him, where did you come from? And he says, from the future, which I thought was very interesting. And is it a potential direction where they go? Well, given that time is so important in this film, but yet again, it's only one of the Infinity Stones, it's interesting nonetheless. And let's not forget, too, I believe it's Tony Stark, but somebody makes reference to six years ago in the Battle of New York. And that suits our our real-world chronology. That was six years ago. But we still have Spider-Man Homecoming eight years later. So, look, either there's a massive mistake, which could have been fixed in two seconds by redoing the eight years later title card in Homecoming, or that's some kind of clue, the same way where it's been. Uh, I mean, my I, my goodness, when when did we see the first Infinity Stone? Even before we knew it was the first Thor movie, um, Tesseract. Oh, Tesseract, of course. Um, but again, bottom line is some of this stuff has been so out there so long that you kind of forget that you've been able to make to be making these theories so long. So something is up with time. Luckily, we have a whole bunch of characters who we don't want dead something is up there i feel like we have you know we're grasping at straws and trying to make a thatched roof out of it but we don't have the tools or the know-how or, or the kevin feige or whatever <laughs> that begs the discussion that the og avengers matt that tony stark captain america thor hulk black widow hawk i uh, arms up at this point um survive and then we've got Rhodey, we've got rocket we've got nebula we've got mbaku we've got okoye that's it i will add to it and I, i'm going to speak very carefully here because i i saw some things and some stuff on twitter today that i had not meant to look at but i did let me just say this even and this will let our our spoiler free army remain spoiler free there may there might be new footage meant to take place during old movies that will yep. appear in Avengers 4. So just because you see footage that looks like it is from Avengers 4, which it well could be, don't necessarily assume that that is a clue moving forward. Could it be because they've all been sent back in time? That's one possibility. Could it be secret flashback to a conversation you didn't know they had in New York? You know, that could be equally as well. Um, there's no, there's no guarantee. Um, I don't know. There's all these questions, Pete, and it's unfair that we're only going to get, <laughs> we're only going to get one to zero hints in Ant Man, and probably not a lot of hints in Captain Marvel either, since it's just going to be li living life in the the sweet sweet 1990s, and that's it. Why no Barton or no Ant-Man yet? <sighs> Pete, I'm going to say the first theory that came to mind. 
because Kevin Feige is still angry at the people who mishandled him in Age of Ultron. That assumes, of course, that he was not kind of, you know, uh, that that assumes that he was the the only guy saying, guys, no, there are these problems with Age of Ultron. Won't you listen to me? And everybody said, no, we're the cool kids. Um, but I think that's one possibility that that like, what are you going to do with the guy who's a really good archer when there's all this stuff? And I'm not saying I don't like the character. I'm just saying, you know, Captain America, who has superpowers, was able to hold Thanos's hand back from hitting him just long enough that Thanos was able to smack him with his other hand. Um, I don't know that story requires Hawkeye. I think also it's the itch that everybody wants to scratch. Mm-hmm. Why isn't he there? As much as I just argued why he doesn't need to be there. Why isn't he there? And it's annoying that he isn't, which means, you know, there's going to be applause, Pete, when we see him not in Avengers 4, not because he's the most beloved character of all time, but because people want their their Hawkeye arrow release, if you will. And then let's play the game, Matt. Let's do our Avengers 4 title predictions. Um. It won't be Endgame. If it's Endgame, then that's dumb. Let me start there. I, I The only other predictions I have are the ones you have shared with me, so I will give credit to you and let you share them. <laughs> I really like Ashes of Infinity. And obviously, if you put that out and then people are walking out of the theater saying, you know, oh, Thanos is going to return in Ashes of Infinity or Gauntlet of Ashes, I, I, I'm... 99% certain that Ashes is in the title. I those are both better than Endgame. Second of all, <laughs> yeah, it's not I, hard. Yeah. I think these titles have tended to be just descriptive of what they are, you know, like mm-hmm. Captain America the Winter Soldier. It's Captain America versus the Winter Soldier. Um I like that with Infinity War it's a little bit more obtuse uh as a title and i think you can take it that one step further where it's just kind of this evocative thing now once you've seen the movie do ashes of infinity or uh, ashes of the gauntlet um is that a bit more i mean you, you know it's more understandable if you've seen the movie and all that but it also just it just sounds cool you know what is it it's like quantum of solace not a great james bond movie but what does it mean? It just sounds so great. I I want a quantum of solace. I think I want to go see, (laughs) pay money to go see that. I mean, we have dates as far as 2020, but the Disney has not announced the slate past a year from now, which is highly unorthodox in their recent going. But I like the air of mystery that comes with that. We know. Yes. As, as much as this film was bid, bid as an ending and it's half an ending <laughs> for half of our characters everywhere, uh, we know that it is not the end. And what this does as far as, again, that mystery that, that people are going to speculate, everyday people as opposed to, you know, massive geeks like me and Matt. Yeah, I think that there's there's so much there's so much flexibility here for them to do so much, and I think that yeah, I think back to the to the the seminal comics uh, event of my 
teens, the, the death of Superman, and how it was like, oh, but everything's staying in publication for like a while because they're doing the whole funeral and then they're doing the after the funeral. And then in that little box that says, you know, upcoming titles, you start to see uh, in two months' time, uh, there, there is no Action Comics release date for two months from now. You go, oh. And then a week later, you go, there is no Superman the Man of Steel release date for two months from now. And they shut down all those titles for a certain period of time. Maybe it ended up being about three months. And then there was like the first glimpse of return. Disney is doing that here in terms of saying, yeah, we don't really have movies afterwards. Now, is there, there, there's homecoming in play as well. That's kind of not always officially on the list because it's half Sony and half whatnot. So they're playing a little, a little, um, they're taking advantage of that schedule wise when they have the big, you know, the, the the big picture of disney guy presenting things and the big timeline but so far they're sticking to it that oh we're gonna do another black panther if the actor wants to oh they haven't announced one (laughs) and and, and so on and so on they're 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 all in on this and and it's kind of scary pete because it still means i don't know who's coming back and who isn't so that begs the question of the tv side implications where we do the lion's share of our work at Fantastic Geek. You know, we've got Cloak and Dagger coming to Freeform in June, followed up briefly by Luke Cage. We're going to have Daredevil at some point in 2018. No word yet on the renewal of uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. past the three or four episodes, right? We just did 19. So right, 20, 21, 22 that we, we have remaining. They have said behind the scenes, they're anxious to talk about what infinity war does to their story. What might remain of it? Um, I think it becomes a question too, same as um, winter soldier that it's going to need to become clear during these narratives, maybe even at the beginning of each, this occurs before the events of Avengers Infinity War. So you're not in the middle of a discussion. It's, oh, man, I don't feel good. Uh, it quickly becomes unwieldy, but it also is something that needs to be dealt with. But Marvel plays things so close to the vest, but or at least Marvel Studios, but... Even Kevin Feige has a boss who's going to say, hey, we have all this other stuff that needs some kind of direction, even if it's, you know, we had an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. this week. Hey, did you see what's going on in New York? Uh, No, I didn't. I'm busy with the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. crisis. Okay. Um, I don't know. I mean, we'll start to see an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. this week, and as these shows roll out, something has to be addressed in the coming weeks, the coming months in these shows. Time will tell with those as well. Let's check the wire. Writing in Matt to the Fantastic Geek Facebook page was a Rosemary Ferry, and she asks, Do you think Doctor Strange shared the one plan in 14 million he saw that works with Tony? Ooh, shared all the details? Yes. Well, I hope goatee guy to goatee guy they did. It certainly would be. In fact, you know what? I'm going to say probably yes, because that'll make a great scene in the next movie going, oh, luckily, Doctor Strange told me some things, so we need to do this and do that. Um, so I'm going to say yes. 
I'm going to say, and I know that he didn't. Well, Pete, let's move on to an email here from our pal, Robert Keeley, uh, who, uh, who, says he uh, he's looking forward to the podcast and uh, he hasn't been able to talk about it with anyone because other people <laughs> haven't seen it yet uh he says i was prepared to be a little disappointed after all how could something live up to the hype uh he does have a couple of thoughts though the movie tried to accomplish a whole lot uh there were frankly too many threads going at the same time and the movie suffered for that on the other hand it did a wonderful job of showing the potential for how bad things could get uh with thanos pretty quickly kicking off with the killing of loki uh, it made sense right away that this movie isn't just uh, horsing around. Bob also mentions that uh, he felt that the pace of the movie never really f- flagged. Uh, he went there direct, went to the theater directly from work. Was he going to have, you know, after having worked a long day, was going to be able to stay awake? That was no problem at all, Bob says. I was glued to the screen for the entire two and a half hours. Uh, I did check my watch near the end as I wondered how they were going to wrap this up with so little time left. That's the big question we all have, right, Pete? How's this going to resolve? That was Bob's question, mm-hmm. too. Uh, he also wonders, how are the other properties going to move forward, uh, as, as we discuss? And just to wrap up Bob's thoughts here, overall, I was thrilled with the movie. It was intense in all the right places and funny enough to keep the lighthearted tone of many other Marvel movies. Now, don't for, uh, now I don't for a minute believe that the dead characters will stay dead. Uh, was I disappointed? Nope, not even a little bit from Bob. Greg Gear writes in, still processing it after seeing it last night. Having read the original comic run, there weren't a lot of surprises per se, but that didn't lessen the impact. Here are some thoughts in no particular order since they already jumbled in my head. While the action sequences were very well choreographed and shot, I was surprised at the level of emotion in this film. I mean, the scene with Thanos and baby Gamora was, dare I say, touching in the way he expressed fatherly concern. Thanos is anguish over eventually killing Gamora was well-earned. It didn't look easy for him. Speaking of Thanos, compare this big CGI villain to Steppenwolf. I'm going to quote my uh, nephew there when he says Steppenwolf and say, who's that? Um, (laughs) From Justice League. Uh, Not only did he look better, there was an actual performance there. DC should hang their heads in shame. Not to say this was a dour film. It isn't. There's a ton of well-done humor. But the somber tone was highlighted by the lack of non-background music. I don't think I've ever seen a Marvel film with only two song credits at the end. The theater was quiet at the end. No chatter. People left in silence. It was eerie. Red Skull. Glad he's back. <laughs> Love seeing different character combinations interacting. That uh, There was a short bit with Falcon and Rhodey, and I thought, right, two Air Force pilots. Go get them. The brief interaction between Black Widow and Banner was terrific. It was subtle but spoke volumes. Imagine if a pirate and an angel had a baby. L-M-A-O. I have heard some people complain that the ending is cheap and lacks emotion because we know these characters will be back because of the movie slates and contracts and blah, blah, blah. Look, the storyteller slash filmmaker only has so much control over outside forces. All they can do is tell the best story in the best way they can. Given that, I think the Russo brothers hit it out of the park. I don't care about contracts. Seeing Peter Parker die hit me hard. Seeing one hero after another just keep fading away was heartbreaking. I kept thinking, no, stop. You're done now. 
that being said, I think everyone killed before the snap are truly dead, which means no more Loki, Heimdall, Vision, and Gamora, although Gamora might be trapped in the Soul Stone, we'll see. I'm dying to see how this affects my beloved Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. If May phases out, I uh, may have to take drastic measures. Okay, thanks for letting me ramble. I'll only be seeing this about three more times in the theater. Maybe I'll figure it all out after that. Looking forward to checking out the podcast. Thanks again for all you do. Well, we might have to do like another Infinity War podcast in a month's time <laughs> just as, as more people have digested and whatnot. Uh, some similar sentiments here from our pal Ian in the UK. Uh, he says, Pete, he left the screening with a sense of frustration. Yes, I enjoyed every moment in the film, the humor, the pacing, the action, the end credit scene, which I predicted we would see Nick Fury. Uh, speaking of which, uh, he says that uh, his wife has not seen all the movies, but saw Black Panther and enjoyed it so much that she wanted to see this movie because of it, which I think is a statement at, you know, as to the, the strength of these standalone movies, Pete. But back to Ian's words here. However, as much as I enjoyed it, I was frustrated that the heroes ultimately didn't win. And I know that they will probably triumph sometime in 2019, but I'm struggling uh, to see the conclusion other than a time loop. It was all a simulation kind of thing which I think is a great observation there. Uh, I'm going back to see the movie in a couple days, so this opinion will probably change, and I will definitely be enjoying the buildup of whatever the next part is. His prediction, Pete, Avengers, the Soul Stone Paradox. Ooh. That's not, that's not bad. Well, that's there, not Ian. a bad one either. Um, um, and he says, Namaste, Ian. Very good. Always great to hear from old Ian in the UK. One more email from me, Pete. Well, not from me, from our pal, uh, Jamie Payton. She says, uh, emailing to chime in about Avengers Infinity War. Really enjoyed it. Uh, thought it was well-paced for its length and loved many moments of humor. All the Spider-Man quips, Star-Lord jealous, uh, acting all jealous of Thor. Bruce Banner struggling to quote-unquote perform. <clears throat> uh, but the best moment for me was the big battle in Wakanda. When Scarlet Witch is pinned down in the trench by Thanos' mm -hmm. lone female henchman, uh, she t and she tells her she's all alone, to which Black Widow replies, no, she's not. Uh, and her, along with Okoye, face off against her in a pretty epic fight sequence. It was a nice moment that demonstrated how far the MCU has come. I think it's a good point, Pete. We kind of touched on that. Jamie's point here is... is nailing it home loud and clear and it's a mm -hmm. great observation the world they've built over the last decade has thankfully expanded to include so many more badass characters that aren't played oh my goodness pete i'm reading this for the first time played by a bunch of dudes named chris <laughs> yes. uh, not that i don't love them too but uh, i got a lot of joy out of that scene my only gripe where was the rhino army from black panther Oh, it's a good one. That's a that's a good complaint, but that we have that all female throwdown and that it's handled as well as it is. Uh, yeah, I mean, Jamie uh, hits the nail on the head. Well, Pete, all of this, some fantastic feedback. I again, I, it just came off the top of my head before. Let's let's tentatively pencil in a date about a month from now to to maybe revisit Infinity War just as theories settle. You know, uh, maybe ahead of whatever we might see in Ant Man, that sort of thing um getting that title perhaps indeed indeed so uh as always you can be in touch with us by visiting fantasticgeek.com checking us out on twitter where we are uh fantastic geek same thing for instagram emailing fantasticgeek at gmail.com pete how can people be in touch with you 
You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 9,915 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, Pete, is there another way people could be in touch with us? Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word. Like it today. Tell your friends to like it tomorrow. Well, with that, Pete, here we are at the end of our Infinity War podcast. So glad that we've gotten here together, gotten here as a team. With that, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you, Pete, the final Infinity War word. Pete? Pete!